Ooh, hello everybody. Welcome to today's Halloween episode. That's right. Thank you for joining me here on Stat Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host, Karen Wickham, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And if I got something for you, what you're about to hear is not for the faint of heart. If you're squeamish or scare easily, then I suggest that you turn this off and go about your day. I have experienced some of the most terrifying things that a human being can experience. I am a retired ER nurse and a paranormal investigator, as you know. And when it comes to gore and ghosts, I've seen my share. But this, this, I'll never be the same. My view of the world has changed and I don't know that I'll ever feel safe again. I jump at shadows, always looking over my shoulder. A maskless face makes me shudder. Even a particular haircut can cause chills to run up and down my spine. Some say that there are men in black everywhere. I don't know if I believe that to be true, but this creature is out walking our streets and in our parks, in our restaurants and our malls. There is nowhere safe, nowhere to hide. This is the story of the night of the living Karens. Mary and I woke up in the morning and something just didn't feel right. Things have been pretty scary over the last 10 months with COVID and all the infections and deaths. The U.S. election was approaching and there was fear that President Frankenstein would have four more years to destroy the country and ruin its people. Zombie tribes were coming out of everywhere. The Proud Boys, white supremacists, the survivalists, and the Karens. Oh God, the Karens. We knew we were coming into dark times. The threat of another lockdown was looming, and the clocks were going back. The blue moon would arrive on Halloween night. I knew that we had to get supplies to last a while. Toilet paper was scarce, flour was impossible to find, and I worried that we'd have to grow our own yeast. We dreaded going out, but we knew it had to be done. We decided it was best just to get up and head out into the concrete wilderness to get supplies and hopefully come back unscathed. I told Mary to stay home. Someone had to be there for the cats, in case, just in case. I armed myself with extra masks and hand sanitizer. We live in an apartment building and I had to take an elevator down 10 flights. Would someone get on the elevator? If so, would they be wearing a mask and should I say something? As I entered the hallway, I heard a faint groaning sound coming from behind one of the apartment doors. God, stay in there. Don't come out, I thought. And I frantically pressed the elevator button. Come on, come on, come on, I begged. The elevator was empty, but there was an odor of poison perfume by Dior. It was so strong I could smell it through my mask. It was their scent, the pheromones of the beast. Goose flesh covered my body and my mouth went dry. It's happening, I thought. The day has arrived. The Karen apocalypse was nigh. When I entered the garage, there were minivans and Volvos double parked, and I sensed eyes were upon me, coming from the shadows, and I could swear I heard chittering noises, whispers. I want my money back. I'm going to sell. Get me your manager. I threw myself into the car and slammed the door. Lock, 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 damn it! Why won't you lock? 
I realized I was pushing the up and down window button. I needed to calm down, take a deep breath and focus. You've got this. I drove out of the garage and I saw them. Murders of Karens everywhere, hiding behind trees, crouching behind cars ready to pounce and stealing nuts from squirrels. They were saying, who says you can have the monopoly on the nuts, you furry little fucks? Where do I go first? My mind was reeling. I needed gas and cash and groceries and various toiletries. I needed a plan. Do I go to Costco for bulk? Do I worry about great deals for less? Or do I hit the fancy grocery store? Fuck the money. It's our lives we're talking about now. I headed to the gas station. The streets were full of lumbering Karens pushing $1,000 strollers that they couldn't afford. Their unvaccinated children eating vegan cheesies and drinking oat milk and kale smoothies out of their sippy cups. These poor children were being raised by wolves. Ghoulish, rabid werewolves. Their little teeth were coming in. Not another generation of little Karens and Kyles. No! I pulled up to the gas station and all the pumps were double parked. And some of these monsters were sitting in their cars making people wait. They were posting anti-vax propaganda on Facebook. The non-Karens were asking them kindly to move up. And some stood with their arms across their chest, defiantly refusing to move. And one even pretended that they were being mauled by an invisible dog. Finally, I was able to get gas. One tried to talk to me, and I gave the appearance of friendliness just so it would leave me alone. When I went inside to pay, there was a Karen demanding to know why she had to wear a mask. I threw my cash on the counter and ran out. I made a decision. I decided to be brave. I was going to go to Costco. Get everything I needed and get the fuck out. I parked as far away as possible to avoid the soccer mom Karens and their monstrous oversized vehicles. I wanted to make a clean getaway. I grabbed a newly sanitized cart and skirted around a Karen who was denied entrance for having an expired Casco card. There's going to be a lot of lawsuits over there. I made a beeline for the back of the store, hopeful that I would find toilet paper and bottled water. I snagged whatever I could along the aisles. I dodged and darted and twirled, grabbing multi-packs of muffins, a club pack of chicken. It was the organic halal. It was expensive, but I don't care. We deserved it. Off in the distance, there was pandemonium. That had to be where the toilet paper and bottled water was. I steeled myself. Was I brave or just stupid? Was it worth the risk? I tightened my face mask and put on a protective layer of hand sanitizer. I had my eyes on the prize, a mountain of white gold, club packs upon club packs of Kirkland toilet paper. It was a horrifying scene. Carts smashing into each other, Karens screaming for their lawyers and demanding their rights, ripping off their masks in protests and violently coughing in each other's faces. <laughs> the non-Karens were terrified, and they turned away, longingly looking at the stacks of bum wipe. It was treacherous. Too unsafe. I had enough of this insanity. I knew what had to be done. I scrambled up over the cases of bottled water, parkoured over the paper towels, and went onto the mountaintop of that Kirkland Klondike gold. I took a fighter stance, legs planted, chest out, arms spread wide, and I let loose a primal roar. My name is Karen and I am the manager. One pack per customer and put on your fucking mask. The Karens looked at me in horror, smoke emitting from their heads. 
They were crying, my hair, my hair, my beautiful hair, as it lit on fire. The non-Karens clapped and cheered, realizing that not all Karens are bad. I handed out Lysol wipes and hand sanitizer like it was Christmas Day. Those horrible creatures slithered away, looking defeated, exiting the building in a calm line, whimpering softly. I knew I had just won a battle, but not the war. But I live to fight another day. So, how are you all doing? Do you need to pause for a sec to go change your drawers? I mean, that was pretty scary, wasn't it? And, um, it could happen to you, so be prepared. Just be prepared and, and be brave. Since this is a Halloween special, I thought that I should tell some hospital ghost stories. Now, some of you may know that I was on an episode of Haunted Hospitals, and I believe you can find it on Travel and Escape or the Learning Channel or something like that. And I was in season one, episode five. Not that I, uh, not that I remember anything. And the story was about a haunted experience that I had with what I thought was a young girl spirit. So I believe that every hospital is haunted or has spirits. Because think about it, how many people die in hospitals and how much tragedy takes place in a hospital? You know, some deaths are expected, but it's, it's, you know, it's highly charged. And some deaths are tragic and happen all of a sudden. And I believe that if there in fact are ghosts and spirits and, and such, that with such a violent and quick death, they maybe don't know that they're dead. Or they have a message that they want to send. Or it could be uh, a nun or a nurse or a doctor or anybody that worked at that hospital that hasn't left because they still feel that they have a job to do. There are many different reasons and theories why there are ghosts that they exist and, and why they exist. And I could go on and on, but I'm going to just stick with those ones there. Um, I'm going to tell you some ghost stories from a hospital that was coincidentally across the street from where I worked. And I talked about how there was a connecting tunnel between the hospital I worked at to this particular hospital and the stories kind of overlap, which is really cool. So let me get into this with you. So the hospital I'm talking about is St. Michael's Hospital, and it's one of Toronto's oldest healthcare facilities. The hospital, along with the St. Michael's Hospital School of Nursing, was founded by the Sisters of St. Joseph in 1892. When it opened, St. Michael's had a bed capacity of only 26 and a staff of six doctors and four nurses. From these humble beginnings, the hospital has grown, and they've torn down some parts and added new wings though parts of the early hospital still stand today. The oldest include the 1912 facade near Bond and Shooter Streets and the 1936 Bond Lobby. So having heard about many, many ghost stories, the hospital newsletter called The Daily Dose decided to collect all these stories and put them out there. So I am going to tell some of these ghost stories, which I think are pretty cool and you'll see how they can overlap. So here's one. It uh, took place in 1999. A staff member from the IT department was working alone one Saturday, 
replacing a computer in the medical media center. At that time, most of the wing was padlocked and mothballed. It was previously in ICU for many years, so he knew that he was alone. As he was leaving, he realized that he had left something behind, so he went back to where he had been working. As the employee started to pick up the forgotten item, he heard papers rustling loudly behind him. He turned to see what the noise was, and as he did, something walked right through him and gave him huge goosebumps and sucked the breath out of him. The experience gave the employee a scare, and he left as fast as he could, and afterwards... He was uh, talking to a member of the cleaning staff who relayed a similar experience. One day while she was watering a plant in that office, when it began to move and shake vigorously, she freaked out. (laughs) So prior to the experience, the employee had no opinion of whether ghosts and spirits exist, but now he is convinced. He has never gone back to that area of the hospital himself again. I would totally want to go back. But I can understand. They probably wouldn't let me in the building with all my equipment. Okay, here's another one that took place in 2009 from Xana. Approximately five years ago, I was working late with my colleague. At around 10 p.m., I took a washroom break. The washroom is located at the end of the hall. In addition, the floor I work on used to be inhabited by nuns. When I was in the washroom, I heard a voice call my name more than once. I'm assuming it was a colleague, so I responded, hold on. And when I returned to my office, I asked my colleague why she called me and she turned to me and said she had not. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to hear someone calling my name that's a ghost, but I'm also being a little bit more like worried or embarrassed that they heard if I was, you know, letting a few rip. And another question I have, do ghosts fart? And if they do, what do they sound like? Let me know what you think. Okay, here's one that just took place recently. There is a gym on 4 Bond, uh, room 57, that nobody uses. The call bell goes off all the time without reason. They've tried calling the engineering department to fix it, but no one can figure out what would cause it besides ghosts. Um, now, it also says the elevators at 4 Bond opposite the nurse's station ride themselves during the night. So this is where I can sort of cross over that a little bit because I talked to you or mentioned in the last episode that the elevator on the sub-sub basement, in the sub-sub basement where this tunnel was, the elevator door would open for you when you'd get there. And when you'd get on, the floor that you were going to would be pressed and you would go to that floor. So... It's kind of cool. There's a bit of a crossover there. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a thing that happens in hospitals. Okay. Also, here's one. Uh, At the fracture clinic, uh, an older male ghost laughs and turns computers on and off. And they think it was a guy named Joe from the morgue, a morgue attendant who had died on the job. (laughs) What, is he laughing at people and and their stupid stories? Like, I slept in the bathtub and it got stuck up there. Or things like that. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about morgue trips. Again, it's in the sub-basement or was it the sub-sub? I think it was the sub-basement. Anyway, of course, I think every morgue is at the end of an incredibly long hallway corridor 
with dimming and flickering lights. I, I just think that's the way it's built. The engineering goes and says, yeah, let's keep the lights low and let's make these flicker and and let's make the echo so it sounds like people are walking around you. Oh, and let's throw in a cold air every once in a while. But uh, <laughs> that's exactly what this place was like. And I've never done a, a, a trip to the morgue on my own. I don't know if it's policy or not. But uh, so... Yeah, almost every time I, I, we would, or me and whoever I went with went, we were just completely freaked out. Now, maybe it's just the whole scenario, but it always felt like you're being watched or you could hear walking. Um, you'd feel a cool breeze now and then and, and stuff. So, uh, you know, it was probably just our imagination. But think about it. Like, you know, when we get there, it's not like we haven't seen dead people before or dealt with the death and dying. Um, with, sorry, the dead and dying. But when you get there and the the room is unlocked and you wheel someone in that you had just seen previously away, I mean, like al- alive, that's it really hits you. And then especially if there's, you know, other people in there as well, it just, uh, you know, it has that smell and, and everything. So it just, um, it just brings the creep factor up quite a bit. Okay, so here's another one. Uh, it said... In Seven Cardinal Carter's uh, wing in 1965, perhaps St. Michael's most well-known ghost is Sister Vincenza, who worked at the hospital for 28 years as a nursing supervisor of obstetrics. She had a reputation for being intimidating, but also caring deeply about her patients, and she passed away in 1958. Beginning in 1965, Sister Vinnie, as she had been called, had been seen by numerous St. Michael's staff and patients. She is known to place blankets on new moms, rearrange medication charts, and turn lights off and on. And she's usually seen faceless, but dressed in a, a an all-in-white. And this floor was also previously a maternity ward. So I think uh, I think that's fairly sweet. I'd be okay with uh, a sweet angel nun tucking me in at night. And I could just see her going, okay, uh, you modern day nurses, what the heck is wrong with you? I'm going to sort these meds out. It's a mess. <laughs> so I could, I can totally see this. Um, now this is my favorite out of all of them. It's the last one, but my absolute fave. Um, this happened in Carter, sorry, Cardinal Carter wing as well in 2010. And the story is told by Thelma. So this is what she wrote. This happened a few years ago in ICU. We were expecting an admission and in the process of preparing the bed, got the cardiac monitor to go on standby mode. So no sooner when this was done, the sounds of a heartbeat emanated from it, audible for all those who were working around to hear. This spooked the RN enough to change the spot. I suspected that the monitor had some sort of recording device installed in it and assumed that the sounds were a result of malfunctioning. However, I discovered that I was wrong when I bumped into engineering one evening when they came to fix another monitor. I was told that one should not hear the sounds of heart rhythm unless the monitor is hooked up to a patient or simulator. And here is the last story I'm going to tell. About three years ago on an overnight shift, working as a porter in the ICU waiting room, I had just finished a morgue call by myself and, well, there you go. I guess some people do do it by themselves. <laughs> Maybe just nurses or chickens. 
um, by myself and couldn't help but reminisce about a ghost story that a friend had recounted to me earlier in the week. I was a little freaked out and wanted to calm myself down, so I turned on the television to take my mind elsewhere. Alone in the room, all the doors shut and the lights off except for the TV, I took a seat to relax. Within moments, the kitchen sink was on full blast and I froze. There was nobody else in there who could have turned it on. I couldn't move for a while and was just in shock until I calmed myself down. About 10 minutes later, I was able to get up and remove myself from the room. I turned the TV off and on my way out, I physically turned off the tap, which was on full blast the whole time. I forget what temperature it was, hot or cold, but that was my one eerie experience working at the hospital. When I think about it today, I feel that was someone telling me to not to be scared as those thoughts about ghosts were fresh in my mind somebody or someone at St. Michael's was looking out for me. Well, that's a really positive way of looking at it. I, I, I like his take on it. So those are some other stories that uh, are from a hospital that uh, I work nearby. And I think it's cool because they kind of overlap a little bit. So that's it. That's the end of the Halloween extravaganza, short and sweet. <laughs> but um uh, you know what? I don't know what's happening this this uh, Halloween. I, I guess they're not they're suggesting for people not to go out trick or treating, and the bars are closed here anyway. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of partying, and also it, you're limited to five per household. So uh, there are a lot of probably going to be a lot of virtual partying, and uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, everybody will stick to the rules and stay safe and all that kind of stuff. But um, I just enjoy this this day and this time of the year regardless. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And just please stay safe as best as you can. Make sure you take care of each other, take care of yourself, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace, one love.